Hello and welcome to Hallelujah Monkeys for May 1st. My name is Dylan Flynn. My name is Trevor Ickrath. Trevor, I have almost nothing to share with you because my life has become consumed by the release of a new Gorillaz album. Yeah, I don't. I don't really have. I don't really have much to uh, get you up to date on either. Uh, and I'm pretty anxious to get into this episode. So let's start talking about Gorillaz. Yeah, let's get into the news right away. Trevor, to quickly run through the news stories that maybe are a little less substantial, I'd like to let you know that the Lens app was released in North America this week. Fucking finally. Oh, thank God. Have you used it? No, I downloaded it before the episode in order to use it, and then I realized that there's a new Gorillaz album to listen to, (laughs) and I'm not going to play with this stupid app that changes magenta-colored things. How many people uh, do you think right now are just hammering on that 15-second skip ahead because they're looking forward to us talking about humans so much and, like, could not care less about things like a Lens app? I'm sure that plenty of them are, and I support them fully. Hit that 15-second skip for all. I don't care. I'm fine with it. Red Bull, though. You want to talk about that? They're doing some stuff. <laughs> yeah, so Red Bull's going to sell limited edition Gorillas cans this summer. That's pretty Trevor. cool. I'm not sure if I uh, would feel comfortable buying something like that. And Damon Albarn probably wouldn't either, because it turns out the Red Bull CEO is a huge Trump supporter. Have you heard about this? Yeah, he's like he's like totally alt-right. He's yeah. fully white nationalist. <laughs> In fact, uh, Red Bull uh, is planning on kind of launching their own alt-right news site, which has gotten a lot of uh, Breitbart comparisons already. It's called... Uh, Forgive me, my German is a little rusty, but Nahar uh, and Wahrheit, which translates to "closer to the truth." Russ, do you think that will that they will be publishing music reviews, and what do you think they would give humans out of? Time? Oh boy, I mean, you know, they would it would it would essentially be they would say that David Albarn is a cuck. Uh, <laughs> yeah, closer to the truth. I suppose those wings are good for something, huh? The the ones that Red Bull gives you. How ironic, though. That Damon purposely made an album, if not an anti-Trump album outright, an album inspired by anti-Trump sentiments. Sure. Only to find himself in this corporate partnership with. <laughs> it is true. It's true irony. I mean, you know, Red Bull is going to be bringing us the live stream of the Demon Days Festival. So uh, thanks, I guess. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, okay, Gorillas reached 2 million subscribers on YouTube, which is cool. They put out a little video for that. Their, the live performance of Let Me Out on the Colbert show obviously happened. Uh, and most of Humans was played at that uh, little private intimate show at Rough Trade uh, in New York. Must have been a cool show to be at. Well, they just skipped Hallelujah money uh, because Ben Clementine wasn't there. And You, know what, you like. know what else they also didn't play, surprisingly? Feel Good Ink. They didn't play Feel Good Ink. Can you fucking imagine that? That's so weird. I can't believe it. I mean, really weird. Especially because De La Soul was there. De La Soul were right there. They opened the encore with Last Living Souls. Which is cool. Which is cool. Very cool. Honestly, I might rather see Last Living Souls than Feel Good Ink Live. I've heard Feel Good Ink done to death. Last Living Souls, though, one of my favorite tracks. But still, they didn't play. Like, that's the biggest Gorillaz song, right? When I talk yeah, to people who don't know about Gorillaz, they don't say Clint Eastwood. They go, oh, Feel Good Ink. Right, exactly. Like, you thought it was weird that they weren't playing On Melancholy Hill or anything from uh, Plastic Beach at, like, the Printworks show? Which they still didn't, by the way. Which they still, they still haven't. But now they're not even playing their signature song. Weird stuff. It is pretty weird. I don't know what, I don't know what the background is there. Maybe they just f- didn't feel like it. A six-song set of tracks from Humans was filmed and recorded for uh, the online like YouTube channel of, of radio station WFUV. Mm-hmm. Have you watched any? 
Yeah, they've released two so far, Strobe Light and Sex Murder Party. I think they're both really good, and I recommend people go seek them out. Really cool. Like, doubled the amount of enjoyment I get out of Strobe Light for some reason, and I already liked it a lot. Yeah, I think that the, the mixing is really terrific in those. Yeah, and uh, it's just such a cool vibe in that little studio space. For sure. It feels like a yeah. basement show almost. Mm-hmm. And The Apprentice was released uh, as a last-minute single before the album dropped. Yeah, that was a bit of a surprise. Yeah, I think it made sense. What kind of band releases a single from their bonus tracks? The reaction was really great in the fan community. I think it was probably a good move. Yeah, very well received. Uh, and then there will be a new line of Gorillaz clothing designed by Jamie Hewlett out at some point. That's cool, too. Yeah, for all you hype beasts. Those are the, those are the less substantial news stories of this week. Let's get into the more exciting stuff, Trevor. The meaty stuff. First of all, Humans is out. I don't know if you're aware. <laughs> It is the number one album on iTunes right now in 19 countries. I'm so proud of them. I'm so proud of our children. I'm so, so thankful that this seems to be going well. The U.S. is one of those 19 countries. You know what is not one of those 19 countries, Trevor? Is the, Which one? The U.K. Tell me. What beat it? Two albums beat it. Uh, the first one is the soundtrack for Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Mm. And the second one is, now that's what I call music, volume 96. Well, who can ar- I can't argue with that one. <laughs> I mean, where else can you find all the greatest hits of today in one place? <laughs> you gotta complete the set. You don't yeah. have 1 through 95 and not pick up 96. And I'm sure Guardians of the Galaxy only got that boost because now you can apparently listen to that album uh, if you buy a bag of Doritos chips. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? That's so crazy. You can plug your headphones in. To a Doritos bag and listen to that soundtrack. You can't plug some headphones into an iPhone 7 anymore, but now you can plug headphones into a Doritos bag. I, you know what? I don't know how Warner Music feels about this uh, This. Current the current numbers we have coming in, but I sure hope they're happy. And they really do seem to have done a, a great job, kind of failure proofing this record uh, leading up to this release. I mean, we'll probably see Humans at number one on the Billboard Albums chart. I feel pretty confident about that, especially because they built in al- copies of the album to the ticket sales. I mean, if it hasn't already, I think Humans will definitely outsell Plastic Beach, which that's that I think was the benchmark. Had to at least do that. Yeah, I'm just so proud of our kids. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Let it be a big smash success. Let all of our phase four dreams come true. That's that's what I say. It's gorilla season. Uh, there was a Reddit AMA this week, uh, Trevor, as well as a really, really great in-character sit-down at the AV Club for their 11 questions feature with Murdoch Nichols. Did you read that? I actually didn't get around to reading that one. I did read the AMA one. Uh, do you want to talk about that first? Yeah, let's talk about the AMA. Uh, it went great. Yeah, especially because we got a question answered. That is true. No burying the lead. Hallelujah Monkeys asked the band a question, and our question was answered. Kind of. <laughs> kind of. I would say yes. I feel like Murdoch kind of dodged me. Eh. I basically asked him if he was like a, a philosophical Satanist or a Satanist who, who believes in spooky monsters and magic spells. Uh, but he got fixated on the fact that I claimed he was 51 years old about. And he's like, no, I'm immortal. I'm going to live forever. I'm not quoting Oasis, by the way. Which is a sentence I'm going to use to punctuate like everything I start saying now. I'm not quoting Oasis, by the way. Never get it twisted. <laughs> Yeah, that was really awesome. You know, theoretically, at this point, Trevor, uh, gorillas could be among our listeners. That's what I'm saying. Let's hope. Do you think? Do you think that right now, like, who? Uh, which of the four is most likely to have subscribed? I could see uh, Russell being a real podcast guy. 
Yeah, he seems like he, he likes to stay current socially as well as musically. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite moment on that AMA, by the way, was there was this one dude who wrote like this <laughs> giant text dump about what it's like when you're a musician who tries to listen to your own music. Like this dude wrote five pages of, of bullshit about yeah, like... Yeah, mini essay. And... <laughs> and it was already like a few comments into a question, so you figured it would just be ignored. But instead, Murdoch just responded to it and said, no, period. Yeah. <laughs> I liked Tootie's answer even better, though. Thanks for typing that long story. You must be very tired. Maybe have a lie down. So good. So condescending. Love it. Love My it. favorite part of the uh, AMA was also another TD answer. Uh, somebody asked him what's the most memorable crazy encounter he's had with a fan. And he says, uh, a fan once threw me her knickers. They were a bit dirty, so I washed them after the show and gave them back to her at the next show. Now she brings her laundry to every show. It's becoming a bit of a burden, especially the hand-wash-only items. And here's my favorite part. The recent warm weather has made drying easier, though, so I count my blessings. <laughs> 2D is being so well-written in this phase, and so is Murdoch. I want to talk a little bit about that AV Club 11 questions thing. Yeah, totally. Might be the funniest Gorillaz interview I've ever read. Like, I laughed out loud so many times in that. I just wanted to share my favorite quote from that uh, interview because I love it so much. I believe he was asked, like, if he had any regrets from being a younger man or whatever, and uh, his response was, don't treat women like objects. I was guilty of that back in the day. It's actually better to do the opposite. Treat objects like women. That way, even if you find yourself at home alone, there are options. <laughs> Which I'm sure you can imagine was accompanied by some, like, prime Murdoch sounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, though, that, the in-character writing has just on this phase has been so on point. Very on point. And that is potentially, that bodes well for the big story of the week. Yeah, let's get into that, because it's exciting news. It's so fucking exciting news, dude. Okay, so Jamie Hewlett had an, uh, uh, an interview with a blog called Exclaim, with an exclamation mark. Exclaim! Uh, and in it, he revealed that Gorillaz has a 10-episode season order for a TV show, and it will air in 2018. How about that? I mean, I know, I know. In the Q magazine thing, he teased. He said ten episodes, but you know, this this means that that ledgers have been have been signed, and and you know, money is moving around, and people are being hired, and it's all falling into place. It feels more likely to happen than ever. I'm so excited. And he said he's going to uh, be directing the first and final episodes of the season, but he's going to be uh, having some outside directors handle the. Episodes in the middle. Uh, Dylan, do you think we're eligible for that? How do, you, how do you think we get into the running to direct the bulk of the Gorillaz animated series? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is create a fan flip book and send it to them. Okay. And hopefully our cinematic eye will kind of catch his attention. That does sound like the kind of thing that would get somebody's attention. Yeah, let's, let's work on that. On he that seems to, to like Murdoch's dick a lot. Maybe we can do something involving Murdoch's dick. And oh, dude, like- I already have tons of drawings of Murdoch's dick just lying around. We're in business. <laughs> he also said in the interview, Trevor, that the show will feature traditional two-dimensional animation, uh, included, but also maybe some mixed media because there might be some live-action guest uh, entertainers who make that appearances. That would be so much fun. That would be so much fun. I just imagine, like, sort of like how the Harlem Globetrotters showed up on Scooby-Doo. You'll have, like, De La Soul solving a, a crime with gorillas for an episode. Very exciting. God, let's hope. 
we don't know anything about who's going to put this out, if it's going to be a, a network or a streaming service, but um, for the record, uh, in the TV industry, they got these things called upfronts where they reveal what's coming out over the next year or whatever. Uh, those start in May, so I would not be surprised if sometime in the next month we hear uh, a little something-something. Yeah, and we'll, uh, we'll keep you posted as that develops. Do you think that we'll get a soundtrack LP? That's, I'm honestly hoping that like um, a good like maybe like four minutes of the last five minutes or six minutes of every episode is a mini music video with an original oh, song. I think yes. that would be pretty sick. I think that's the way to do it. Damon has all these songs running around, like just devote 10 to a TV show, then release it as a soundtrack afterwards. If there's a soundtrack album and then finally those holograms are up and running and they can do a little holographic tour to promote it, oh, this would be the best phase. <sighs> It's an exciting time to be a Gorillaz fan. It's such an exciting time to be a Gorillaz fan, and it's such an exciting time to be a co-host of Hallelujah Monkeys, because we're going to get into the roundtable. Let's do it. Trevor Ickraff. Dylan Flynn. We're going to do it. We're going to do our, the thing that we do. We're going to do our best at doing the thing. I, I'm going to get totally straight with you and totally straight with the audience. I am nervous as shit right now. I am so anxious. I do not feel ready to talk about this record. I feel like a kid who has not done his homework. Although I have done an exhausting amount of homework, which is the most frustrating thing. We both have pages and pages of notes on this. I just feel like I just want this to be good. <laughs> I want us to do a good job. That's how I'm feeling. Pressure's on. Uh, okay, I think this is a good place to start. So um, we had our emergency episode a few days ago, mm-hmm. and you hit me right off with, with three words. Now, d- I did. Are those canonically still your three words? I think so. Uh, for those of you who may not have listened, so the last uh, couple track-by-track album reviews we've done, uh, you've kind of started the discussion by throwing out three adjectives that you think uh, best describe each record. Correct. And I was expecting you to do the same with this one, which I'm sure you have, but I already had three ready to go for our little emergency episode. And uh, if you haven't listened to that, the three words I threw out to describe the album were chaotic, right. sensual, right. and invincible. And I think I want to—I almost want to tone down sensual a little bit to be uh, flirty. Ooh, flirty. I kind of like—you know what? I feel like you could make good arguments for either of those, Yeah, actually. totally. It's a flirty album, dude. Do you do you know what I mean when I say that? I mean, yeah, I think I think not specifically sensual in that there's a lot of actual contact happening. There just seems to be a bit of prowling on the yeah, record. It's very playful. It's just yeah. I have three, Trevor, and here's what's interesting. I think one of my three words is pretty similar to one of your three. Okay, and two of them are not not opposites of yours, but stand in direct contrast to yours. Interesting. What's interesting is that I don't actually disagree with any of your three either. I think that there's just a duality on this album. Okay, so my three, Trevor, are unified, passionate, and uneasy. Okay. And unified, I want to I want to mention because it, I, to me, this is I, these are two. This is a double meaning word. I think that the sound on humans is quite cohesive. Like it, it sounds like one group is making all of these songs to me, uh, you know, sans guest vocals. Uh, but I also think that unification is so important to the message of this record. Both it is both about c- togetherness and the sound is cohesive, so hence unified. And passionate, I'll get into, but that's another double meaning, because I feel like there's a lot of extremely, like some blood and guts performances on this record. Uh, and also, there's a lot of sex and romance, which is quite 
passionate as well. Mm-hmm. But you know what's funny, Trevor, is we've been doing our little three-word thing. Turns out we were just ripping off the band. <laughs> were we? Yeah, because on Hot 97 this week... Uh, oh, yes. Let's talk about this. They mentioned that they had a mantra for every song on this album. And they threw it out that they had three words that guided that were a guiding light in the creation of the album. I didn't even, I didn't even make that connection. That's very funny though. That's exciting. It is exciting. The three words that Twilight Tone, Remy Kabaka and Damon Albarn used as as their mission statement uh, were pain, joy and urgency. And I think they really managed to convey all three of those on pretty much every track. Nailed it for sure, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we just get into it, do you think? Well, I kind of wanted to share this uh, thesis I've been working on about uh, what gorillas means to me now. Yeah, get into that. You've teased this to me, and I'm very curious what you mean. Yeah, it's, I've been thinking about it a lot, because gorillas no longer feels like a band for me. I know we talked about um, on Plastic Beach how they literally weren't a band anymore because they were so fractured and in different directions, but gorillas, the project, just doesn't feel like a band that comes around and puts out an album every year. And I think the current incarnation of the band really solidifies that for me. I'm going to go on like a little bit of a tangent here, so bear with me. I'm with you. One of the things I like so much about Humans is that it feels like the culmination of the entire Gorillaz project. It seems like with this phase, uh, Damon's really figured out how Gorillaz has worked in the past, so now he's able to more accurately present it to us. All right, so like the whole theme of phase four is that Humans is supposed to be a big party at the end of the world, right? Right. Like that's how it's been built at the start. Well, I love that because I've realized, just like I feel Damon Albarn has, that's what Gorillaz is. Or like, that's what it's spent like the last 17 years of its existence becoming. Gorillaz isn't a band. It's like an event. It's like a celebration. Party doesn't even do it justice, I think. It feels more like a traditional festival that we celebrate every like five to seven years for like a 12 to, I don't know, 16 month period. And it's, it's this traditional event that involves like meditating on whatever evil currently threatens to bring about like our doom or the end of the world, whatever the current incarnation of the end of the world is. It's like twice a decade, we all come together, take stock of what a fucked up place the world is and find a way to turn it into some kind of musical catharsis. I think that's fucking brilliant. I'm so glad that you got, you came to that clarity. That makes so much sense to me. And that's, I think humans, the album is such a perfect representation of that because it doesn't sound like a band making music. It just sounds like, all of these people coming together for this event. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's yeah. like the purge. <laughs> something. I, I see it as like, I don't know, the Chinese New Year or something. Or like... Uh, Dia de los Muertos or... Gorillaz is this beautiful comet that appears in the sky every, like, twice a decade and spends... And we all got to wear weird tennis shoes and kill ourselves so that we could... Something like that. You know, so Gorillaz... Gorillaz is a way of life, dude. It's not culty in the way maybe, like, the fish fan base is... But, like, when you're, when you're a Gorillaz fan, you almost got, like, an extra holiday to celebrate every now and then. It's so true. And there's something also about, like, even, even on a meta level, just among the fandom, like, you make all these close friendships, and then you sort of drift away from each other. And then several years later, you, you come back, you check in, who's, who's, got, who's married now, who's got a kid, we have a little reunion. Circle of friends, man. Exactly. Circle of friends. It's very special. I really like that take, Trevor. Yeah, so this is, that has been kind of coloring my entire experience with the album. You want to get into the tracks? 
Let's get into the tracks. I want to talk about the intro because I have some shit to say about the intro, Trevor. Yeah, let's um let's get this out of the way first. Let's talk about the intro and how we feel about just the narrative uh, kind of interludes that play out through the album. I love Ben Mendelsohn's work on this. In fact, I really didn't when I heard it at the Human's House Party because I was so kind of locked into the the groove of how these songs were moving from one to the next that I felt like he was interrupting them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but boy, I could not feel more different uh, than I do now than I did then. I, I think they're great. They're so immersive. They make me feel like I'm in a Philip K. Dick novel or like Blade Runner or something. Right, because like Demon Days, which is the album, the other Gorillaz album that I would most closely compare to Human just in terms of its focus and its themes and stuff. Oh, definitely. I definitely. would say Demon Days is is quite apocalyptic, and then more than apocalyptic, Humans is dystopian. I think that's the, the key difference. I do want to mention that there is some, some kind of hard-to-understand background chatter under this intro, by the way, uh, and that is Damon Albarn. I don't know what he's saying. Interesting. Uh, it also it also samples a a NASA rocket launch. Hmm. Um, okay. I switched my robot off is kind of introducing one of the themes of this album, Trevor, which is personal electronic devices and disengaging from them. Yes, but maybe so that was also a theme on on Damon's solo album, uh, Everyday Robots. Yeah, I'd like to talk about that album a little more later. I feel like the way that he explores the cell phone, tablet, computer theme on Humans is more interesting than it was on that record. Because even in this track, I think there's a duality here. He's not necessarily being a Luddite and saying, like, turn off your phone, man. He's sort of saying, like, it's a trade-off. Because when you switch your robot off, you are able to engage with the world more, but you don't have the benefit, which is that... You know, your the robot helps you remember everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the robot it's, is it's so hard walking that kind of balance today. I remember uh, back when first uh, back when like soon after Trump actually became president, there was just this two week period where it seemed like every hour there was something catastrophic being announced online. Right, and you wanted to just log off so you didn't have to put yourself through this like social media hellscape. But at the same time, you had to be plugged in because you had to know what was going on. Exactly. Something could have happened at any moment. Exactly. Like, I feel like this album doesn't necessarily come down on you millennials with your cell phones in a way that I kind of thought it would be. It's not really Crankpot about it, actually, I don't think. No, it doesn't. I feel like it doesn't end up being a huge part of the record. So the NASA launch also introduces a a theme on this record, which, of course, is the cosmos and uh, and space. That's kind of a half-realized theme, I think, but we'll get into that as the album moves forward. I want to talk more about space later, too. Uh, let's talk about Ascension, Trevor. Everybody's pretty familiar with this track by now. It's the opener. It's uh, got Vince Staples doing this kind of uh, really high-energy political-esque rap over one of the like wackiest, kind of most bonkers beats Damon has ever produced, I think. Yes, absolutely. And uh, and it had that hook that maybe some people weren't so into. That always it's perfect now, though, right? Me. How great is it that the album starts with the lines, The sky's falling. I mean... When we were talking about Dame, when we were talking about Demon Days, you accused Damon of being like a bit of a chicken little, but now here, like they're literally saying the line. Yes, the sky's falling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I uh, I love that Vince Staples name checks three sort of feminist music icons. So he throws out Missy Elliott, Grace yeah. Jones, and Barbara Streisand. <laughs> Uh, in his lyrics, and I also love those Old Testament references because I mean, up top he says the tomb of Jehovah, but then he also quotes Moses as saying, "Let my people go crazy." That line is so good. Maybe the best part. 
feels very Kanye-esque, too. Yeah. It could almost be an alternate title for the record. It's, I mean, that's the thing is that, like, the thing that Ascension nails is being the entire album in miniature, you know? A little bit, yeah. We talked about that in our emergency episode a bit, yeah. I also kind of have gotten more and more into Damon's little interlude on this song. I think it's the perfect first appearance for him on the album. Like One of my favorite lines in it, Trevor, is, uh, in these times of sedition, well, nothing is dull. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can say that <laughs> There's at least. such a dark humor on this record that I love, man. It's really good. Very sardonic. I think Vince might be the most method actory of the, all the collaborators for, like, really inserting him into this party and, like, visualizing it. Like... One of my favorite little touches is the lyric, uh, all these liberated women sitting in my lap. Yeah, that's a good one. Obviously, at a Damon Albarn party, there would be hella feminists around. <laughs> I guess. I like when he says, nah, I'm just playing. Yeah, that's great, too. And I feel I still think that that Obama name check is fucking punk rock. I love that line so <laughs> that's much. It's very good. Yeah, it's very good. Uh, what do you think about, do you think that that scream is really a sample from that stupid Mr. Krabs meme? Apparently it is. I thought it was confirmed. It wasn't confirmed because I was listening to it, and it really does kind of sound like it is. Really does. I've seen a. I, I saw the uh, Printworks uh, performance of Ascension, and it's cool that Damon does it live. If you like Google "Hey Mr. Krabs," you'll see some dude playing with a toy and doing a scream that apparently is a meme. I don't know anything about it, but uh, that scream that he does, we think, is the scream that happens after uh, "Be a Puppet on a str- on a String Hanging from a Fucking Tree" on the song. I wish I had this instrumental because there's like some cool cowbell noises that happen during the verse that I wish I could hear a little clearer. Yeah, there's some wild percussion. Ascension's fucking great. Like it's it's in my top five on this record. I think um, very good opener. Doesn't quite make it there for me, but yeah, doesn't make it to my top three. But I think it's top five. And and mm. in terms of it's like integration into the album, it is my favorite of the pre-release tracks. Interesting. Cool. Okay, Trevor, do you want to talk about Strobe Light? I do want to talk about Strobe Light because this one has probably grown on me the most from uh, when I first listened to it. It's got, it's like this kind of really like Chicago sounding, like almost a new Jack swing kind of song. Yes. It's got like a, a funk, a funk, a G funk almost uh, a thing happening with the, with the synth and the, and the chorus melody. Uh, of course it is a big feature for, for Peven Everett, one of two that he has on the album. Who kills it here. It is so, I agreed with you, it's totally Chicago. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's a big pop moment. This one really establishes like the party atmosphere. I mean, it, it sounds like the second or third song you'd put on in like a DJ set, like when you want to let people know that it's like time to start getting on the dance floor. It's got, it does kind of have almost a dance to pain away thing, like not totally unlike Dare. Mm-hmm. You know, something about living in the strobe light just makes me feel like, you know, get off the streets and onto the dance floor kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, and then it's got that one lyric, Trevor, the slide the light off you, may you find some peace. That's a that's a, a graffiti campaign from New York City in 2015. Oh, cool. So slide the light off you, uh, may you find some peace was a... Uh, was an anti-cell phone thing where they used this stencil uh, to spray paint on on sidewalks in New York City so that while you were looking down at your phone, you would see it. Huh. Uh, and the idea being, you know, slide the light off you. Maybe you'll find a little bit of peace if you get off uh, your, your device. So that obviously plays into the whole electronic devices motif. What do you think of uh, what do you think of Peeve and Everett here? I think that he is blood and guts, man. I think that he's he comes alive. Like... Sings his fucking heart out, and you know he also uh, plays keyboards on this this. Cut oh, as really? Well. That's cool because the keyboards on this track are sick. Like I'm pretty sure, like when that synth solo came on uh, for the first time, I was like, "Oh, dude, 
nice, 2D. He's doing such a great job. <laughs> like, like I am still enough of a gorilla's narrative. Are you talking about the, the, about, the, like, main, the, way... the main synth melody? The da, 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 no, that's solo. That's solo in like oh, the middle. Oh, yeah, of it. That, that crazy solo, right. Yeah. yeah, I really love that whole bridge where uh, Damon's harmonies come in. Like, I feel like he's on this track like the perfect amount. Just like that's all I need from him here. I agree, and and I mean also the 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 vocal chorus, which by the way they are credited as the humans in the liner notes. Nice. Uh, I love the the live in the strobe light uh, chorus and how it like becomes more and more tangly towards the end. If, if you understand what I mean. Um, also, so back on ascension, this was touched on, but I, do you think that I feel like the lyric "Are we obsidian?" Uh, feels like it's kind of playing into the the race and blackness motif on this album. You know, Obsidian is a is a very pitch black rock that is made stronger by the violence of a volcanic eruption. Interesting. There is something to that about, like, you know, we're stronger because of this violence that's been visited on us. Uh, it's also just a cool sounding lyric. Yeah, I always I interpret it as like, um, like, uh, are we like, are we too hard and like almost like stubborn to connect anymore? Oh yeah, I can see that too. Are we just too far gone to be as one again? Yeah. Man, what a what a great pop moment to kind of like kick the party off, you know? I love it. I like I cannot uh, get over how good Peven Everett is on this track. I'm sure he'll get a lot of uh, comparisons to Bobby Womack because the whole song I think kind of sounds like Stylo on Downers. What's crazy is like Peven Peven Everett has like this wise beyond his years thing where like I think he's super fucking young, dude. I think that dude is is. Like, I was surprised when I watched that uh, session. Yeah. I know, and he sounds like one of these dudes who must have been bombing around for years. So, I mean, that's that's a real discovery for me, Peeven Everett, on this record. Uh, another another little subtle thing I like about this track is if you turn uh, the volume up really high uh, for the first, like, 30 seconds, you can hear some studio chatter layered low in the mix. Oh, shit. I just love that. Such a loose vibe. So good for this record. And here's another thing, Trevor. So, all over humans, like, more tracks than not. Anthony Kahn, a.k.a. Twilight Tone, is a composer, so he was very hands-on. But I just wanted to let you know that on Strobe Light, uh, Anthony Kahn gets credit for drums, vocals, bass, producer, and composer. Wow. Like, that is a dude who got real in it. Yeah, so this may not even be much of a Damon track. It might not be. You know, it does seem like it was really collaborative, though, because even in that Hot 97 interview, to bring it up again, which you guys should go watch, it's pretty long, but it's really interesting. You remember when we were talking to Melanie Charles, Trevor, on the show, and she mentioned that there was, like, a real bromance between those two dudes? I do, yeah. You could see the bromance all over that interview. Those dudes are, like, constantly touching each other and laughing, and, like, they seem to really love each other. Please please don't give the Gorillaz fandom any ideas. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, I'm not shipping them. I'm just saying that there does seem to be, like, the tone of when those two dudes are in a room is so different than when Dan was doing interviews with them or when Danger Mouse was doing interviews with them. Like, what a, what a totally different vibe, and I would not be shocked if Damon and, and Tone end up working together again in some capacity. Yeah, let's see. Now, talk about Saturn's Bars? Yeah, Saturn's Bars. I mean, I'm sure you, I, we don't, you don't need much of a refresher on this one. Everybody knows this track. It was the first, like, big, big, big single. First big comeback moment, I think, of the face. Uh, Dylan, you asked me, uh, you referenced when I uh, called Little Dragon the find of phase three. Yeah. I think PopCon is probably the find of phase four. PopCon, amazing on the song, isn't he? Just he? ingratiates I mean, so well into the Gorillaz project. Here's the thing, though. Like, I do love his verse. I, You know, Saturn's Bars is the one pre-release track that I don't think has really grown or changed for me in context with the rest of the album. Mm-hmm. 
Like, I loved it before. I still love it. But I wonder if, like, I don't know if this is going to make any sense to you. But do you do you get the feeling that maybe maybe Saturn's Bars is like a great gorilla song? Maybe not necessarily the best humans song. It does kind of clash a bit with the sound of uh, some of the other tracks on the album. It doesn't have really as much of a party vibe. Yeah, like I even wondered, like, do you think it it would feel different if they sequenced it later in the record? Like, was there a, a possibility that maybe Warner was putting pressure to have this closer to the top because of it being a single? I don't know. That's a good question. I feel like it maybe might have done a little better around, uh, like, Carnival. Sure, yeah, in that kind of darker <laughs> leg of the record, like, maybe. I don't know. Like, I don't skip it, that's for sure, but it, does, it doesn't It does feel... No, and, you know, I think if I had to pick a favorite song from the album, it would still probably be Saturn's Bars. That'd probably be my number one. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. It, 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 I like it, it a lot. I it is not really for me, cool. but I but I do think it's a, it's a tremendous, tremendous track, for sure. There's this great moment from the... Uh, Printworks version they released where uh, Damon is performing the hologram bridge and it's very dramatic and like a real epic moment. He has his arms outstretched and uh, behind him on the screen is just Murdoch's giant uncensored dick just over his shoulder. <laughs> that is epic. Yeah. I, what is what is up with that weird move that Damon seems to be doing a lot in the live stuff this phase where like he's starting the YMCA dance but never completing it? <laughs> like he just <laughs> posts up for the Y. <laughs> I think it looks pretty cool. I don't know. There's something very, there's something very leadership about it. It's true. It is. It's it's almost yeah. like in the wall when the when the dictator comes to the front of the stage, something like that. But yeah, I don't know. I still love this song. It just hasn't. Hearing it with the album has not really made me look at it differently or or think about it differently. Yeah, I would. I'd say that's fair. Also, obviously, this is a, another check on the whole cosmos galactic motif uh not only because of the saturn stuff but also that little uh press the button to begin is from that little interactive planetarium toy that's a sample yeah that totally counts moments uh this is the de la soul this is the third entry in the trilogy of gorillas de la soul songs it's an early fan favorite uh it is it is which kind of almost surprises me a bit because it is definitely one of the strangest gorillas album cuts right yeah i saw a straw poll earlier from one of the discords where it was like vote for your favorite tracks and moments was was winning not by a huge margin but winning for sure yeah, I know a lot of people are into this one. Uh, one of my coworkers actually said that he was surprised that this wasn't a single. Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, I look, I'd love to see what a video for Moments would look like. I just don't know about it as a single. But I will say Moments, top three on Humans for Dylan. Really cool song. It doesn't quite make it there for me, but I like it a lot. There's like a lot of discordant stuff going on. De La Soul's verse is like unpredictable. How about, that fucking, you... how about that Casio that starts out the track? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's one of my favorite parts. Very almost like sweepstakes esque kind of. Yes, so Puts me good. In a carnival mood or something. I love. Uh, so there's a secret collaborator on this song, Trevor. Who's that? The there's additional synths being played by a fellow named uh, Jean Michel Jarre. Oh, like the French Godfather of ambient music. Yes, a very important dude in the in the French New Age ambient world. Uh, I don't think that this song is particularly ambient or New Age. Not really. Not at all. <laughs> But I'm gonna guess that he has something to do with that outro when the when the uh, the ding 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 when the sort of more melodic synths start coming in. That would be my guess. Do you mean like the kraut kraut rock part? Yes. Where it gets that part is really cool with like that steady drum beat and uh, Ben Mendelsworth's very strange uh, spoken word part about the cool clown clan. 
Yeah, uh, I I looked high and low, dude, to see if that was an existing sample. I'm gonna guess that that's that's either Trugoy or Pause. And then after the bit about a, a fresh of breath air, that's Ben Mendelsohn. I thought the whole thing is him. No, 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 no. It for sure isn't. Like I listened very closely. Cool Clan Clan is not Ben Mendelsohn. That's for sure. That's no. That is definitely him. No way. No. No way. Absolutely yes, not. Talking about the it, Cool Clown Clan. Yes, it is. No, that is not Mendelssohn. Yes, it is. Dude, I would cut my finger off. I'm so sure. <laughs> okay. Tweet at us. Tweet at us on what you think. Who you think is saying that line. At Gorillas Fancast. Hit us up. And then someday we will have the proof and one of us will have to be shamed for being wrong. Talking about the cool clown clown. I love that line, though. <laughs> and I, I really love De La Soul's appearance on this song. Like, I'm so Dude, glad that, so they're, good. that the Gorillas De La Soul collabs haven't been a case of diminishing returns. Like, they'll probably never bottle the lightning strike that resulted in Feel Good Inc. Well, but, not, not commercially, you know? Yeah, but every one of their contributions manages to, like, even be more charming than the last one. Exactly. They feel totally home on the Gorillaz project by this point. And you can, like, you can tell that they're as thrilled to be as part of the band as ever. I love the I love the uh, the lyric when uh, her nose has never been skating, but she's sipping Star Constellations. Yeah, it just makes me think of like those weird, sort of impossibly bright, colorful mixed rigs that you see in like a Star Trek episode. You know, how about the fact that we get um, we get two references to cocaine on this album, and neither of them are by Pusha T. I know, shocking, shocking. Yeah. And then I, I love our girl Melanie Charles holding it down in the humans chorus of uh, Plastic on the Ceiling. I love the Plastic on the Ceiling part. It comes out of nowhere. Dude, it might be my favorite like backing vocal moment on the record. It's really good. I don't know what a lot of these lyrics on this song could possibly be talking about, but the thing that Plastic on the Ceiling makes me think about is disco balls. Okay, that's cool. That's my kind of visual, anyway, for Plastic on the Ceiling. And then what about that weird Tupac lyric? <laughs> Man, all the, all the lyrics on this song are weird, dude. I mean, there's like a reference to, well, I don't know. You know, I don't like, know. I, I tried to untangle that Tupac line for a while, and I don't have anything to report to you about it. Other yeah. than it's weird. <laughs> and look, if you're a person who, who feels sometimes like they wish that they could hear the animated band more in these songs like i don't think there's been a more 2d sounding moment in this band like maybe since dirty harry than when uh that falsetto shivers down my backbone thing happens with damon that's so 2d to me i don't that's not him i'm pretty sure that's him no that's not him boy you know what? We're leaving all of these disagreements. According then. to according to Genius, that's Azakel. See, Azakel has additional vocals on here, but I re- look. I listened that's to some de- of the stuff. That's I, definitely not Damon, dude. Are we going to have to do this every track? Every single track, I think we're going to have to scream at each other. I think that this. I, I okay. So I listened to that sample over and over again, like on a loop, to make sure that I. But the the it's just the the intonation of the word backbone sounds unmistakably Damon Albarn to me. I don't hear it. Sorry. Well, you know what? I know he's on that red or black, yellow, red, black, white, dirty part. Yeah, he's saying that bit. Yeah. We'll figure it out someday. We'll talk about anything else we got to touch on in moments? I don't think so. I mean, it is interesting that moments and ascension are kind of building this, like, these are songs about, like, male lust, you know? A little bit, yeah. Cruising. Cruising for some action. And and it is interesting that, like... Up to this point on the record, anyway, we have not, the female perspective has not yet entered this record. No, but it will soon, because next we've got. Submission! 
which has a little nonconformist oath sample that leads into it. Not much to say about that other than it's a, it's a sample from a Steve Martin stand-up album that I really loved when I was a little kid. Yeah, I know, I know you were excited to hear that. But Submission. Submission is a song that is, I believe, mostly being driven by, by Kalila, but then it has this kind of bombastic Danny Brown feature uh, that happens towards the end of the track. Trevor, on our emergency episode uh, that we did a few days ago, I believe you cited this as... as Maybe one of the weaker tracks, or one of the tracks that didn't quite grab you. I wonder where you where you stand with that song now. I, I have grown to appreciate it a lot more. It's still, probably towards uh, my, the bottom of my rankings. But I really love Kalila's contribution to this song. Her vocals just so yearning and kind of almost hurting, but also full of contradictions. Like she's not really sure what uh, direction she wants to be going in. So what is what's holding it back for you? Is it Danny? No, I mean. I like Danny Brown's verse a lot, okay? I think Danny Brown is a great rapper. I think you could probably make an argument that he's a top five rapper at the moment. His lyrics are great. He's got his own kind of style. I mean, you know, even outside of the top five thing, there's uh, there's no denying that he holds down a territory that is not currently being occupied by any other rapper. <laughs> totally. The thing is, I hate his voice so much. You don't like the... the you don't like yeah, that stuff. Yeah, no, I, he, and he doesn't need to rap like that either. I know he has other voices he can bring out of himself. I've heard him do it. It's just so I grating. think I love it because of how sleepy so much of hip-hop is right now. <laughs> I love yeah. it because there just isn't anybody else clowning like that uh, today. And I don't know, man. I mean, that's not true. I mean, come on, like Lil Yachty. Lil Yachty is clowning in a very different way from Danny Brown. <laughs> I guess that's true. But yeah, I think Danny Brown's verse is great here. I love lines like, there'd be no heart on my x-ray. Feel like my soul's in handcuffs, that kind of stuff. It's very self-conscious, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that does make sense. And he's good. he's been good at doing that lately. You know that long intro, that like that long sort of whistling intro right before he comes in? Uh you can hear a little door open, like a door opening into the studio before he starts that verse. And every time... It makes me think about the door opening before the Van Halen solo on Beat It. And this Danny Brown verse, to me, is like the rap equivalent of that solo. It's so flashy. That's very cool. It's so memorable. That's that's cool. I actually think this is probably one of the weaker contributions to the album. Boy, I don't know. I can't agree with you there, man. I mean, this is I think Danny Brown does a great job. I think he really rides the beat really well. His flow is good. I just don't think it ends up being one of the like stronger highlights of the collaborative appearances. I think this song is like bubbling under the top five for me. It doesn't quite get to my top five, but I do, I, boy, I do love that Danny verse. And let me, let me share a little bit of a thing that I kind of thought about with this song and we'll see if maybe it improves it or hurts it for you. <laughs> uh, so you remember in the, we'll talk more about this interview later, Trevor, but in that Vulture interview that Damon did this week that was mostly about We Got the Power, uh, when he was talking about the album more broadly, he referred to it as a series of conversations between men and women. Mm-hmm. If we take that to mean what it what it sounds like, then this is the first conversation between a man and a woman on this album. And I love it's a weird ass conversation. Like submission, based on, solely on my read of it, might be unintentionally the funniest Gorilla song. Really? Because Kalila, her side of it is she's like she's pleading for her partner to commit to her. So she's like, you know, if it's up to me, we're in this a hundred percent. Like I love you and I want this to be real, but you keep giving me mixed signals. Right. Mm -hmm. And then Danny Brown goes, 
Yeah, but, you know, rich people, they're just abusing the power. And so it's like the most ridiculous, the corniest dodge you can possibly do in a relationship. That would be like, Trevor, that would be like if your partner was like, hey, how come you don't hold my hand when we're in public anymore? And you said, baby, I'm just really stressed out about climate change right now. Well, I don't think that's actually true because I think more of his verse is actually about uh, all the personal demons he has. He's saying, just trying to keep my head straight. You know, like, how can I commit myself to this relationship if I'm not even okay where I'm at. Yeah, but at the end, he comes. He really does go social with it. Like, he does make a Hail Mary pass. Like, that line, it all comes down to the mighty dollar, greed and lust abusing power, is like, oh, dude, you're really trying to weasel out of this, <laughs> this commitment conversation right now. Yeah, maybe something that makes the track just a bit weaker for me is that I don't see these two parts of the uh, song connecting to each other, really. It always just seems like there's the Kalila part and then there's the Danny Brown part. And honestly, one of my favorite parts is that little breakdown in the middle when you've got the choir really going and you've got uh, Graham Coxon doing that kind of subtle little discordant guitar solo. I do like that, uh, that little guitar. And one of my favorite parts of this track is uh, Damon's vocals. You can barely hear them, but he just kind of sounds like radio chatter that's almost being broken up underneath all the instrumentation that's going on. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, this song also supposedly samples a really famous uh, Chicago Deep House song called Your Love, uh, which is a Jamie Principal and Frankie Knuckles song. Um, Cool. I couldn't quite pick it out of the mix. I'm not sure where it is. But it's it's, it's interesting that you point out those little elements because I feel like on my first few listens to this song, I thought that the arrangement on this was a lot flatter than most of humans, but there actually is a lot of stuff going on in this arrangement. It's just kind of pushed back into the mix a little bit you know i really love all the choral work on this album like it's very almost kind of like mid-2000s flaming lips-esque i mean the chorus is on like nine songs on this album so yeah. it's, the, it's the most on any gorillas album for sure and they're they frequently feel like a driving force in the instrumentation like they're almost carrying the songs more than the instrumentation at points they're the humans they're a huge they're the part of this uh, of this record for sure yeah okay so let's talk about charger let's talk about charger because this is probably in my top three of the record i think it's a pretty popular choice right now actually among among the fans it is really cool it's basically just like damon like babbling over this distorted guitar loop yes and do you know who's playing that guitar (laughs) yeah he's playing that guitar that's damon albarn on that guitar damon albarn shredding (laughs) on charger it's killing that one but i was actually surprised to learn it was an actual guitar because i think it like this could easily have just been a synth guitar yeah or i mean i do definitely think it's it's cut up pretty significantly it's really cool but yeah it's basically just damon babbling over this looped guitar riff with uh the ghost of grace jones kind of doing a marky smith thing and she's kind of babbling too like apparently what happened was grace jones came into the studio they played this charger beat for like an hour and she just babbled four hours oh four hours (laughs) and then at the end of it they took what they had and cut it into this and you know what I think that Grace Jones, like, she, maybe she's at the Nana Cherry end of, of collaborators and that she's not doing a ton on this song, but she's really adding to the mix. I love her stuff. It's so fucking weird. She sounds like a, like a space witch. <laughs> I've seen a lot of people saying that this song wastes Grace, Grace Jones. Disagree. But I love the way Damon utilizes her on this track. No antenna. Provocative. Love it. Love like it. I know something they're doing for the live shows this phase is projecting the guest performers' faces on big screens behind the band, and the effect ends up being that they look like these big ominous specters, and that's exactly how I picture her here, and I can't wait to see this one live. So if 
if Damon's stupid rule about every album needing a punk song on it gave us punk in the self-titled, gave us white light on Demon Days, arguably maybe gave us glitter freeze on Plastic Beach, would you say that this is the best that his little punk song ethos has ever paid off? I don't think this song falls into the same category, actually. I think that comes later, and we'll talk about it. But I don't think that the song is a conversation either. I think that no. whatever whatever Damon and Grace are doing, it's <laughs> they're doing it in their own vacuums. <laughs> One of my favorite things, though, about this track is all the like subtly sinister stuff that starts happening in the background. Yeah, like there's these kind of psychedelic reverbed vocals. Towards the end of the song, they do start to layer in elements, and they never overdo it. Like, it really does hang on this kind of droning guitar thing, you know? Like yeah, they, by the, they, they just, even Damon's verse, like, loops three times, I think. And by the end, when the song's over, you're almost left kind of feeling the way Damon sounds, I think. And the arrangement is so dark, It's it, but it's a testament to how kind of playful both, both Damon and Grace are on this track, that the whole song really feels like a lot of fun like it does it's not feel really cool i love when um he just kind of tweaks the beat during the chorus for a bit like the second or third time with those little industrial beat noises Do you know oh, what i'm yeah, talking yeah, about yeah definitely like it just sounds so cool it feels like so there's something almost kind of cocky about it like he knows it's going to sound as cool as it does like when he does it i, I also always chuckle when grace jones in between the first and second verse goes okay yes because it sounds like she's about to bust a verse yeah but then it just keeps doing exactly what it was doing okay okay <laughs> i like when she goes provocative yeah provocative is great too and the no antenna thing by the way trevor does does check another box on electronic devices no antenna put your phone away no antennas Charger's awesome. It's not it's not in my top three, but but I fucking love it. I do love it. Is it is up there for me. So I wanted to touch on um elevator going up real quick. Sure. I know this is, has like become a meme in the fan base, like saying this is like your favorite song in the album or something. Do you think it's a clash reference? Oh shit, I hadn't even thought about that. Have you heard uh London Calling? There's a track on that called uh Coca-Cola, I think. Of course. And at the beginning, uh Joe Strummer goes, Elevator going up. Yeah, I think that that's obvious. That has to be intentional, right? That's pretty cool. This whole album actually gives me a clashy kind of vibe. Like, uh, one of my favorite records of all time is Sandinista, which is the album they put out after London Calling. It's Sandinista just, is in need of an edit, but it is pretty special. I'll, we'll talk about it, because I have one that will, and it makes the album 100 times better. <laughs> my favorite Clash album, one of my favorite albums of all time, super long, super experimental like, if you like the whole humans vibe, definitely check that out, I think. Yeah, I could see, like, in a world where The Clash somehow stayed together and became a synth-pop band, they would probably make records not that different from humans. Mm-hmm. Like, real interest in uh, dance and other genres like that. Very cool album. And hey, The Clash are uh, Gorillaz affiliate now, so you've got no excuse. I also have some shit to say about Elevator going up, but I'm actually going to talk about it in a later track. So All let's right. talk about Andromeda. Andromeda, another song that they're isn't a lot to be said about by this point does listening to it in the context of the album kind of has that changed it at all for you yeah uh i feel like there are some some lyrical themes that we've already been hearing a lot like this is not the first time that hearts are being talked about on this record Mm -hmm. like that kind of plays into the passionate vibe but a lot of the the guests on this album reference their hearts uh to me, like in the narrative of this of this record, Andromeda is kind of that moment at a party when you're starting to go off in an emotional direction that does not match your surroundings anymore, and you're like, "Fuck, I need to get out and have a cigarette right now." Like that's exactly what it is. I'm like, I was literally going to say this is the part of the party where you 
kind of walk outside and have a cigarette. Oh my god, we're still on the same page! Uh, there's some beautiful lyrics on this. My favorite lyric on this whole song, Trevor, is outside, cold, and ghosting out with jet lag. Absolutely perfect. What a perfect line! Like, pretty soon we're going to start getting into my wacky fan theory about this album. Okay, yeah, you've been teasing that, and I have been really interested in hearing what you're going to say. I guarantee it'll be interesting. I don't know that it'll be good, but it will be interesting. Uh, Here's the other thing I wanted to say about Andromeda, Trevor. This song is 130 beats per minute. That is a fucking magic trick. Like, this song feels so mellow and so late night and so down tempo but it has a driving beat it's very propulsive so interesting yeah dude when the drums fall out at the end of of andromeda that is weightlessness that makes me feel like i am fucking floating in space and can i just say i think it's uh easy to forget this when you're dealing with an album that is bonus tracks this is the halfway point in the album so the first half of humans ends with those drums dropping out which I think is pretty cool. Humans is an album that announces its halfway point, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's get in to Bustin' in Blue. Yeah, you kind of you close side one with those drums falling out, and you open it with a track where they do not come in whatsoever. Really Bustin' cool. in Blue, Trevor, is my favorite song on Humans. Interesting. I wanted to talk about this one and the way it makes me feel. Uh, do you have a minute? Yeah, I got a minute, buddy. All right, so... <laughs> All right, so Humans has like an interstellar motif, right? Yes. But this is the one song that actually makes me feel like I'm in outer space. So I want you to imagine something, okay? I'm with you. I want you to imagine that you're an astronaut and that you live in a space station, like deep in space with one other person. Right. You've lived there for like years, okay? You and this other person, and for years, you two are the only form of human contact the other has had. Yes. And because of that, you've developed a really special relationship. It could be romantic, it could be something else. Whatever you think that kind of relationship you develop with this person in this situation would be. You're essentially each other's like entire worlds. I mean, almost literally. Yes. So you two live and work together in the space station, and one day, I don't know why I'm saying day, because it's space, but one day, <laughs> something malfunctions on the exterior of the ship, like a radar dish stops working or something. So you put on a suit and venture outside to fix it, tethering yourself to the ship so that you don't float away into space. And the other person, I imagine, stays in the station to monitor things inside. So you go outside and fix the radar dish, which is easy enough. Because your radar hasn't been working, you haven't known that, like, a small cluster of asteroids has been on a collision course with your ship. And they hit while you're outside it. Like, they tear into the space station, destroying it with that other person inside and sending you floating into space, untethered from anything. And then Busted and Boo plays? Can you imagine what that would be like? Like, what that experience would be like to process? I think the most common reaction to disaster when it strikes is to ask yourself, what can we do? And in this situation, the answer would just be nothing. Nothing. I think that it would be terrifying and then sad. All you'd be able to do would be to stare at the wreckage and think about how, even if you could save yourself from floating into the abyss, there'd be nothing to get back to because your whole world is gone. Yeah. And that's how, that's, that's how, that's the situation Busted and Blue puts me in for some reason. (laughs) It's a very evocative song, Trevor, and that's a very elaborate take that I gotta say kind of works for me. I, I, you know, this song, it, it makes me ache with loneliness, man. It makes me want to hug somebody who I love. Uh, it's really something. It's gorgeous, and it's also a big gear shift for the arc of this uh, album and the tone of the party uh, itself. Like when, when, when you get back to the party after Busted in Blue, it's a very different party. Okay. 
I believe that there is some reference to the electronic devices on this, and I'm going to use that to set up the fact. Welcome to the beginning of Dylan's fan opera <laughs> reading of of humans. Um, Buckle in my seatbelt. Yeah, okay, so this introduces the first of the three main characters of the opera, Trevor, who we will refer to as the Satellite. Okay. Um, he's taken an emotional trip down memory lane in Andromeda. He leaves the dance floor and rides the elevator going up to the roof uh, where he has a cigarette and sends some desperate, pleading text messages to somebody who was in his life and has fallen out recently because things have gotten complicated. He's asking for them to come back into his life, and we will meet that person later in my opera. But the arrangement of this song, Trevor, is one of the moments where I feel like you can start to hear the distant horror that is coming for us by morning begin to approach. It's still safe enough right now that you can leave the club and hang out outdoors and have a quiet moment to yourself but that time is evaporating and when you hear those little those little mechanical snaps that undercurrent the beat of this song it just makes me think about like some kind of terrible unknown thing that is coming for you somewhere way off in the distance the satellite is telling his lover that he can't get back without her some shit's going down man he's Whatever happened between them, he's making that, that Hail Mary pass, saying, like, can we please reconnect tonight? I mean, this is the time to do it, right? I don't even want to think about all the texts I'm going to send once the end of the world is actually at our doorstep. Oh, God. Oh, God. Would, there, would, any, of them, <laughs> would any of them be all caps told you? <laughs> I, I guess we'll see. But yeah, this is... What do you think of the fact that there is no feature tag on this uh, song, despite the fact that it does feature additional vocals from Kalela? I think Kalela was a perfect choice because the yearning that Damon's going through on this song is pretty similar to the yearning that she's going through on Submission. Totally. Uh, and she really comes in with that beautiful uh, uh, harmony on the line, Till We're Invincible, or Till We're Invisible, sorry. And uh, I love the, the, the color that her voice ha- makes when it mixes with Damon's. What do you think about the fact that she's not listed as a featuring artist, though? Um, I get it. This is the one track where it's just Damon. I get it because uh, I feel like for the politics and the legality of it, there is technically not a moment where she is singing and Damon is not. Um, what about uh, what about um, Be My Light? Well, I think that that is technically the humans. I think that the humans are, she's in the front of that mix, but the humans are, are technically underscoring it okay interesting now i do kind of wish that they had said featuring kalila because it would have made the people who were bitching about their only being one song on the album with no feature truly tear their hair out and that would have made me laugh Mm -hmm. (laughs) but i get it i get it i'm okay with it i want to i want to put something out here for you what if this song had said featuring damon alburn (laughs) um well, then I think it would play into, into my narrative read of it, because it's, a, it's like the introduction of a, of, a, of a character. And I will say that this, I think, is one of the best songs that Damon Albarn has ever written, like, especially in this mode of the kind of emotive, pensive, uh, soul-searching Damon Albarn songs. It's got to be my favorite one ever written. Speaking of those, this song actually got me to go check out um, uh, Everyday Robots for, believe it or not, the first time in my life. Oh, wow. I listened to it a few times when it came out. I don't know why I've never checked it out. Just digging it up for the first time was like finding a photo album of uh, pictures of my dead father that I've never seen. 
That's. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say ex girlfriend. No, it was like oh, my dad. Like dad, you. This is. When did you do this stuff? Let's not spoil it because I'm sure at some point there will be a gorilla's drought and we will have to devote an entire episode to a track by track review of it. <laughs> I'm sure that's true. That is our future. Yep. Oh God, what a startling vision of our future. <laughs> uh, so after this wonderful. Beautiful, brilliant moment. Uh, Humans starts the next chunk of the album with interlude talk radio, which I do want to talk about. This is where things get dark. Ben Mendelsohn, uh, I feel like on a lot of these interludes, he's one of us. And on this interlude, he's one of them. Okay. Do you understand what I mean by that? I do. Can you expand on it a little more? Maybe for our listeners? I think that I think that Ben Mendelsohn is often speaking for us and with us uh, on these tracks when he when he is commenting on the things that are happening or the things that are going through his mind. But on this track, he becomes a fucking menacing, like drunk, chaotic father who is saying some fucking weird, scary shit. I I only go as far as you want me to go, man. That's as far as I, that's so fucking creepy, dude. Mm-hmm so creepy (laughs) i think he gets a little more unhinged and kind of i want to say like less sober as this album goes on oh yeah and speaking of menacing yeah should we just talk about carnival perfectly into carnival which i think is the punk throwaway of this album oh i get it i get it okay i can follow you on that i guess for me i would still put charger above it but i understand why it checked this box for you really cool track though i haven't seen this one getting a lot of love from the fan base i think it's really cool i think anthony hamilton absolutely kills it here it's such a menacing track oh shit yeah so bluesy it deserves to be a little more fleshed out i think only just a little bit over two minutes long i could have had another minute of this easily I think sonically, it might be like the most sinister sounding gorilla song to me. It's up there, definitely. I don't know if, if Hamilton is supposed to be like singing from the perspective of that evil. I think he actually sounds more like a victim of that evil mm-hmm. in his singing, like because it's so painful and so bluesy, his performance, you know? Yeah. But I want that instrumental so bad, dude. I love this instrumental. Like,. There's some interesting little details in the mix happening, and like this song just menacing gives me this vibe that like I'm under some kind of a spell. Totally, and my mind is empty and my body is moving without me like letting it. You know? Hell yeah! And you and you mentioned uh, how how it gets cut off, and I agree. I could have definitely dealt with another minute of the song, but I do love that super abrupt ending where he just goes, yeah. <laughs> What about that creepy laugh at the top, too? Like, it almost reminds me of the, this quote-unquote creepy laugh at, laugh at the beginning of Feel Good Inc., but that's like a joyous, evil laugh, and this one just fucking gives me bad vibes, dude. Gives me bad vibes. This is the bad vibe track of the album. No kidding. Yeah. Leads right into Let Me Out. We're still in the dark quadrant of this record, for sure, on Let Me Out. I think you've described this song in the past perfectly. It's a little conversation between the Staples and Pusha T in the corner of this party. It's almost the most explicitly like a scene from the movie of humans <laughs> on the record, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's almost narrative in how directly it's written. Yeah. Um, Pusha T is real ham-fisted, though, man. Uh, you know what? Let's talk about the Hot 97 interview, because uh, I think we both learned here that instead of uh, the lyric, we, we thought the lyric was Obama we mourn. Which, if it was, <laughs> if it had been. But it turns out to be Orlando we mourn, which I think like is completely changes Shati's performance for me for some reason, and I like it a lot more now. It makes me like Pusha a lot more, and it makes me like 
Damon a little less, and I'll get. I'll let me explain why. I I completely understand. Like already. So Orlando, we mourn, is such an improvement over the ridiculousness that we thought it was Obama, we mourn. The reason we thought it was Obama, we mourn, if you're not familiar with this, is so far all of the bleeps on the album that we knew about were directly tied to presidential names. Obama and Trump on uh, Ascension. When Pusha did this song live, he said, so together we mourn. Uh, and we knew he wasn't bleeping together, because that doesn't make any sense. So just by process of elimination, the fandom decided he was saying, Obama we mourn, which would have been a joke. Yeah. But Orlando we mourn is, it's kind of a big moment, because I don't think 10 years ago you would have heard, like, one of the biggest rap musicians on the planet refer to gay and lesbian people as his neighbors, which you, he does on the You still line. don't hear it a lot, like... I mean, obviously what happened in Orlando was horrifying, but it happened to gay and lesbian people. And to have a rapper express solidarity to those people and call them his neighbors and that he's praying for them, that's a big moment. That's a it's, big really, moment. it's really cool. And I understand why you don't get a great vibe from Damon censoring it in the same way that he would censor like, uh, you know, Obama or Trump. Because when he censors Obama and Trump, there's that other read of it. He's not just, he's not just weatherproofing the album for age. He's... he's acting like that these names are dirty, you know? Uh, but when he bleeps Orlando, what he's saying is, you know, I kind of wanted this album to feel timeless and evergreen, and I wanted it to maybe feel like it was in a, in a universe slightly parallel to ours, and that's fine. But you know what he needed to do? He needed to square his fucking shoulders, sit up straight, and say, hey, Push, hey, Vince, uh, can you say that without saying it? Because we're not doing the names thing on this album. Collaborations, I think, are just tricky like that. But instead, he bleeped it. And I think bleeping Orlando was a mistake. I don't like that he did it. Yeah. But that being said, I think Let Me Out is pretty close to the bottom of this album for me. Uh, but I do still love it. Me too. Although, I think that this is actually going to be one of the um, kind of persisting songs from the phase. I think this might be the big one. Yeah, I could see I could see this one being a fan favorite for sure. And I'm actually fine with that. Because once again, Mama Mavis fucking kills it dude yeah. it's such a good performance something i learned recently is that this song apparently got such a great reception at the print work show that they played it twice yeah twice in a row so i can definitely understand why they're pushing it as like it has kind of eclipsed saturn's bars i think is the single from the record i mean they didn't play saturn's bars on colbert they played let me out you want to go head to head on the whispers i don't like the whispers i think they feel kind of I don't know. There's just something about them that feels a little cheesy to me. I think the reason that I do like The Whispers is because it gives that track the vibe that we're like off in the corner, you know? I can see that. Like, we're, we're speaking in hushed tones. We don't want to necessarily kill the mood of everybody. But, like, the beats, these beats are sick, y'all. But can we please talk about this shit right now? Because what the fuck's going on? Like, I love the paranoia and the intimacy. It is definitely a very paranoid track, yeah. And I was starting to think about that crackle. You know the crackle that's, that's on this track? Uh, how... It almost feels like radioactivity, you know, mm -hmm. like the way that those little sensors crackle when you're when you're in a radioactive environment. And it's like the it's like the sanctuary of this party that it is breached. Like somehow when when Damon went up to the rooftop in Busted in Blue and came back down, he somehow brought those outside vibes back in with him. And this is a fucking different party now. You know, that's pretty cool. Not just a different party. It's a sex murder party. It's a sex murder party. Something is going to happen tonight. <laughs> yeah, is he us or them right there? I think he's us. Yeah. Something is going to happen tonight doesn't sound like it's being said by the person who's about to make it happen. It sounds like it's being said by the person who it's going to happen to. <laughs> sex murder party is a divisive song. I think it's pretty cool, though. 
just in case you're still new to the record, you want to know what the fuck we're talking about. This is like the the kind of really Chicago deep house, dark Jamie Principal going six murder party. It's also got a real Italo disco vibe to it. I mean, this sounds like something that could have almost been on the Drive soundtrack. And then Damon's hook on the song so unusual, like that melody that he sings almost sounds like a like a baroque like funeral dirge or something. Yeah, it could almost be from that Doctor D uh, record he put out. Okay, I have a theory about the development of this song. I think that Damon wrote these verses, or wrote his his hook rather, and that he is specifically writing about homophobic parents casting their kids off. So you hear this lyric as "I drove the kids." And not the keys, correct. I hear keys. I'm pretty sure He it's might keys. be saying keys later. I think he's saying kids in the first one at least. Nope. But let's go with my let's go with my interpretation for a second. Yeah, for argument's sake. I think that he wrote a hook about the ostracizing and and alienation of gay kids and their homophobic parents. And then he went to Twilight and said, uh, Toad. <laughs> Can we get you got any like gay singers or gay rappers that we could have on this song? And then Twilight Tone said, "Well, Damon Albarn, uh, I am a Chicago house music producer, so yes, I have a lot of gay singers that I can bring on this record." Yep. Uh, and I feel like Jamie and Cats being on this song is obviously intentional to have kind of because here's the thing, Trevor. Humans might be a Chicago house album, but it is like the most heterosexual Chicago house album that has ever been made. This this album is heterosexual as fuck. Like, there's a lot of man-woman shit on this album for sure. Totally. And it's just, it's interesting to me that the one, like, overtly queer moment on the album is not romantic at all this is there's not a sexual energy that's being like <laughs> volleyed back and forth between jv principal and zebra cat this is like a persecution ugliness dark song you know and i don't think that jamie and zebra were super interested necessarily in writing a song about like queerness or persecution necessarily like jamie seemed like he was more interested in just vibing on the word sex murder party and, and you can see him do it in that uh the live session He's very cool on this track. Oh, yeah. The, F- the WFUV live version of the song, you should go look it up if you listen to this and you haven't seen it. Like, he fucking is really tearing it up yeah. uh, on that live version. Really, like, uh, choose the scenery almost, whatever the musical equivalent would be. Yeah, it makes me really excited to see that track live in October. Um, the Zebra Cats first, though. Like, probably my favorite part of the song. Do you think he's talking to, like, a lover or a parent? Like, I feel like he could be talking to a number of people. Uh, or himself, perhaps? Like... It seems accusatory, but also, like, kind of accepting of the fact that we're all pretty fucked up, you know? Right. What an interesting track. I mean, it's real divisive, I know, but it's it's worth a second look. If you've written if you've written Sex Murder Party off, spend a little bit more time with it. There's a lot going on in this track. Yeah, it's a really cool song. I really vibe with this one. There's also some, like, weird, interesting, loose synth work going on in the background that, like, that almost, like, at the beginning of moments, like, that, that weird banging on some keys shit going on in the background. <laughs> This one just makes me want to kind of get in my car and drive around like uh, Mulholland Drive like late at night. Do you, you want to talk about the next track, She's My Caller? I do, Trevor, because it's one of my top three favorite songs on humans. This one is really cool. It's kind of got a... Okay, I've seen people comparing it to the um, Austin Powers theme song. <laughs> it does have a really cool kind of like 60s spy kind of tone to it. I agree. I Sounds agree. Sounds like Damon yeah. kind of on the prowl at a mod party. 
Yeah, it's almost got a like an almost bossa nova thing happening mm-hmm. uh, in the way that, that it's syncopated. It also sounds kind of Detroit techno to me. The the way that the beat is syncopated. This is my, I think this is my favorite beat programming on the album. I should just say Anthony Kahn, Twilight Tone. His fucking beat programming is so good on Humans, dude. These are some fucking sick beats. I love and- that little fill that opens up the song there. Yeah, and it shows up throughout. The those yeah. fucking fat ass snare hits are really cool. Great, dude. Uh, I love Damon's undersold vocal performance. Like Damon's it feels whole like- thing on this track is great. I'm not sure if I love his lyrics. They feel a little bit phoned in, like collar, collar, collar. I vibe with it for sure. Like I like, I like the, I like the the repetition of it. But the the actual performance itself, like the chords on this song, are really icy. You know, like mm-hmm. there's a really, really uh, uh, frozen vibe to me. Uh, not frozen, the Disney <laughs> animated film, but yeah. you know. Just cold. I really love that she's the one I'm running with hook too. That feels where the song like really hits its stride. Fucking great. And the way that Damon's like underselling these vocals, I feel like he, his voice is just like wrapping itself in this beat like a fucking silk robe. Very cool. I love how it all kind of comes together. And then you've got Cali uh, Uchis with this weird feature uh, with really interesting lyrics, starting starting with the, the lyric, uh, I'm yellow, he was blue. And uh, again, like singing in this kind of like uh, 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 way, like like a like Paris Hilton on a Bender voice, uh, constantly almost going out of key and like you know tossed off in a way that is different from the way that vocals Damon's vocals are tossed off, but that feel very like you know two sides of the same coin to me. This still just sounds like spy movie music to me. I mean, like this could almost be like a James Bond theme. Like this reminds me of like uh, Diamonds or Forever or something. I feel you. Apparently. This song has a, according to Genius, a sample of Monks by Frank Ocean on it. I think that's bullshit. I have no idea where it would be. If you can hear that anywhere, please tweet at us or something. Yeah, Acarilla's fan cast, if you think that this truly has a Frank Ocean sample, I think it'd be dope if it did, but I don't think it does. I want to talk to the person who made that edit and just go like, what you thinking? Yeah, what's going on, buddy? If you're listening, definitely write in. Please. (laughs) Come on the show, honestly, because you're an interesting individual. You hear things. Trevor, we now uh, return to Dylan's Humans mini-opera already in progress. Let's check in. Uh, Character number two, The Caller, has now been uh, introduced. The wordplay between caller like a phone caller and caller like something you wear on your neck, of course, is very intentional on this song. Um, The song's about that complication that they've had together. You know, I know she lies. He even calls her like a snake in the chorus. Serpentine. Like a lot of millennials. (laughs) I believe believe that the, the satellite is a young man. Like all millennials, he mess- he references that he sends a lot of messages, but he never calls her. Yep, um, that checks out. This is the moment in the party where the vibes have really gone sideways, and he got that text back from her from when he was on the roof, and he and he and he hit her up. And even though things got weird between them, and even though there's some complications, uh, as she puts it, I'm still coming back to you. And as he puts it, she's the one I'm running with. So whatever they're going to run from, they decided that at least for tonight, they're going to do it together. All right, exciting. I can't wait to see where this goes. I'm properly invested now. It's it's straight through to the end of the, the album proper at this point. Not the bonus tracks, but okay. we'll, we'll get more opera for the rest of the record now. <laughs> All right, well, let's let's keep going then. Uh, we take a brief detour through this little um, very political interlude, The Elephant. Yes, The Elephant. I think everybody got this one immediately. I really like it. I think it's the perfect level of allegory. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, 
it's it's uh, this is clearly the the kind of lyric that that Damon was looking for when people got political on the record and maybe didn't always find, and so he got out his his, his car horn bleeps. But uh, you know, it, it requires you to get the elephant imagery. You have to a be familiar with the the U.S. political party icons, which obviously not everybody is, but most of us probably are. Yeah, there's the donkey for the uh, Democrats and an elephant for Republicans. Right, but even if you get the the allegory, the image itself is just weird and interesting. Very almost Dr. Seuss. Yes, uh, confetti coming out of an elephant's trunk is like, a, or fire coming out of a monkey's head. I suppose are are very weird visuals, you which know? is great because I think Hallelujah Money almost sounds like confronting a Dr. Seuss antagonist. And I think Hallelujah Money is the fire coming out of the monkey's head of humans. Absolutely, absolutely. Actually, that's not technically true, I don't think, because for me, this almost strikes me as more of the "Don't Get Lost in Heaven." Well, just you mean in terms of in terms of how it tees up our our finale? Almost, but I mean, like, yes, that's one part, but this is also it feels like where we finally get to confront that darkness. By the time you get to "Don't Get Lost in Heaven," like, it's to the gates. You know what I mean? I think that I think that if you take fire coming out and don't get lost and put them in a blender, you get Hallelujah Money, so to speak, because obviously it's the moment where we hear the actual shit go down, sort of, so to speak. And I'm saying so to speak a lot, so to speak, so to speak. And it's also, like you said, uh, uh, the moment where we we actually step forward and say, okay, here's what's happening, here's what we got to do. Mm-hmm. I, I also think she's my caller has a similar relationship with fire with with hallelujah money that dare has with fire coming out yeah it's weird because when i was listening to she's my caller that's when i had this uh realization that i talked about in the emergency episode where i said like uh oh this is the same party that damon had a mental breakdown at in uh dare like (laughs) 12 years earlier i want to talk real quick about the decision to release this song on inauguration day let's do it i don't think it was a good choice i think that um for one this is not necessarily the message that we needed to hear on that day. <laughs> because when Damon comes into this song, he's he's asking some pretty philosophical, existential-type questions, uh, but he's certainly not answering any of them. Okay, in my opera, the third and final character, <laughs> you can call him the elephant, or if you prefer, the devil. Okay. The caller and the satellite fucked off together ran through the streets where the riots were already starting and got to the apartment where they turned on the TV just in time to watch the elephant deliver his first address to his new subjects, having just uh, wrenched power away from, from the legitimate sources. And they watch him deliver this terrifying, nationalistic, creepy-ass speech. And then they have a conversation together. Now, when I heard this song on Inauguration Day... Damon's interlude sounded like he was using the royal we a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, how will we know? How will yeah. we dream? How will we love? I don't think it's I don't think it's royal. I think it's intimate. I think it's him and a person asking each other that. I think that the end of this album is about people being together, not people writ large, not we as a people, but I think it's about the people that you're with, and I think that he's saying, when the morning comes, or what's going to be? What are we going to be? What's what's going to happen with you and me? That's my read, uh, both in the narrative of this opera and also just my read of this uh, this song now. Like, 
I get that that it's legitimate to say that he's asking these questions of humanity, but the intimacy of the way that it's mixed just makes me feel like it's it's a dialogue. I think that's one of the great things about humans. It feels intimate and societal at the same time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's any number of ways you can interpret that we, and I think anyone would be equally as valid. The other reason that I wish that uh, this song had not been released on Inauguration Day is I think it would have had more impact if it had been a surprise. Like, it's such a sinister and, and like, deliciously awful thing, the song, you know? I think it's too satisfying the way that it actually does end up snapping into place that not hearing it ahead of time would have almost robbed us of that. Like, because when it first came out, everyone was like, what the hell is this? Right. But when you hear it on the album, it just makes sense. It's true, it does. I mean, you know, I just think, I do dream, though, of a world in which I hear Hallelujah Money for the first time while I'm listening to the album. And it, would I have get, been, it would have been interesting. I get a little jealous. I get a little jealous of that, that version of myself in that parallel universe. This podcast would have a different name. It sure would. That's true. Interestingly enough, I cannot listen to the beginning of this song without expecting to hear you uh, screaming the name of our podcast at me. <laughs> Yeah, we did kind of fuck that song up for ourselves. And also, we can barely say Hallelujah Money without wanting to say the name of our podcast. Instead. I definitely can't. No Spongebob scream at the end like we got on the uh, the YouTube version. I, I gotta say, this is stupid, Trevor, but I kind of missed that little Spongebob scream. Really? I don't know. I don't think it needs to be I feel like there. It, was this, it was this moment where like you sort of break character from the song and say, like, this is fucked up, right? Like, I know, I get why it's not on the album version, but I, but I think that the version of the song that does have that scream is its own special thing. I, um, I think the song also breaks character for a second, but it's uh, when Benjamin comes back in after the first uh, chorus or bridge or whatever, when he goes, eh. Don't don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 look, guys. I know we're dealing with a lot of heavy stuff here, but don't worry. I love Ben on this song. I know that this song again is pretty divisive. I love it by this point, and I think Benjamin Clementine owns on it. Like, fucking for one sure, one of the man. most important contributions to the album. I think that Ben Clementine and Vince Staples had the most interesting reaction to Damon's prompt. Uh, on this record of like imagine that it's a party at the end of the world because Vince was like okay I'm gonna get laid and then <laughs> Ben's response was okay I'm gonna be the devil yeah okay I am the end of the world I got I really want to check out his solo stuff now he seems like such a cool and interesting dude and a really good pianist I really recommend you go delve into the Ben Clementine uh, uh, back catalog it's cool. I'll, I'll report on that uh, next time. I would I would put I would put Benjamin Clementine uh, right up there with Popcan in terms of uh finds of the phase by the way. I agree. Yeah. Uh we got the power. We got the power. A song that I now love. Yeah, it's so different uh in context. Like I don't know that I would ever listen to this song by itself, but I know that I'll never skip it when I listen to this album. Same. And I want to go back uh for a moment to that thesis of mine about how Gorillas is a party that we throw to kind of reflect on whatever the current incarnation of the end of the world is. Yes. I think it can like occasionally be a draining and harrowing thing to kind of put the apocalypse to music and like dance with it. As we often say throughout albums like Demon Days, they really reach dark and low points. But uh, I, I think the point of Gorillaz is that when it's done, you come out on the other side feeling stronger with a determined sense that there's still good in the world and that we can still yes. make things right. Gorillaz happens to remind you that no matter what's going on, there's always something you can do. 
even if yes. that, even if that's something is just being there for each other. Like that's what, a, it's a galvanizing force, you know. That's what gorillas is all about: being there for each other. Exactly, and and when I was listening to this album for the first time at the house party, Trevor, and it started the the, the beginning of it started. We got the power to be loving each other no matter what happens. I wrote down. I don't know if I believe a fucking word of this song right now mm-hmm. <laughs> because I had really gone through kind of a dark place uh, through through that last chunk of the record the first time I heard it. Right. But the just the kinetic energy of the song, the way that that beat like picks up, it just brute forced its way into my heart, man. I love it. It's especially in context with the rest of this record. Like, it's really good. I also is this the second Gorilla's closing track to reference the M1 Freeway? Yeah, totally, definitely. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Feels like a throwback, kind of like almost we've come full circle. And also, the it, it's a big a big nod again to the electronic devices thing about the the don't forget the machine, yep. call me, and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, but again, maybe a little bit more like looking at the duality of it because I don't think that this that this album this song in particular is saying you know put those devices away. It's saying pick them up and talk to each other. You know. Now, why do you think um, Noel Gallagher doesn't get a feature credit? On this song, I don't know. I don't know. I wish that he did. Uh, I wonder if it comes down again to there not being moments where his voice is isolated. I wonder if that's that's as far as Warner Music is considered. That's what it takes to get a feature credit. Or something. I guess so. I just think of that drum feature and like you know if that's enough, throw it all on that track list. Well, I mean, especially because he wrote probably half of the lyric. You yeah. know, let's talk about the vulture. Let's, let's talk about this gem of a vulture interview. It's like one of my favorite Damon slash Gorillas interviews ever done. I think it's really good. It's a it's an in depth look into the the creation and development of this song specifically. I mean, they talk about some other stuff, but it's really about this song. Uh, and they talk to Damon, and then they talk to uh, Noel Gallagher. Mm-hmm. But they talk to Drum. They talk to to Jenny Beth. They talk to everybody. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, Drum is doing uh, some of those some of those additional. You know, kind of electric, electronic, chorusy sounding backup vocals on this. Yeah, song. that was interesting uh, to learn. I think the uh, most fun part that was probably the uh, Noel Gallagher section of the interview. Oh, it's such a good section! <laughs> really good. I want to read part of it when they asked him uh, yeah, what, for it. what were the sessions like. He said the first session I did was maybe four hours. I really enjoyed it. When I first got there, he just had that bass line, the drum machine, and the title. We got the power, and that was it. They even also had this photograph of this Asian monk. <laughs> Standing underneath a fucking enormous bell. He said, the song is about this picture. I was like, okay. That's <laughs> my favorite. That might be my favorite anecdote about the making of a gorilla song ever. Like, that is so fucking David Albarn. Hey, look at this picture of this monk. <laughs> That's what this song is about. It inspired Noel to write the lyric, uh, we got the power to be ringing the great bell out there above us. At least, which, which is a is, great line. Yeah, probably line. the best line in the song. Of course, the other highlight uh, about of that the Noel Gallagher section is when the interviewer said, Damon thought maybe Liam Gallagher would be uh, upset to hear you singing with Damon Albert on a song about uh, how you love each other. What do you think? And then he said, nobody gives a fuck about what Liam sings. I love it. And it's great because uh, recently Liam actually did tweet something like uh, to the effect of, I know that gobshite from Blur has turned uh, Noel into a girl, but next time I see him, there's a war to come. Ugh, that dude, like, first of all, motherfucker, you didn't write one song on Morning Glory. Sit down and shut up. You got, you had a pretty good ride in spite of being the biggest dick in the world. I love the Gallagher <laughs> brothers so much. They are a treasure. I, mean, I love them, and I love to hate them. <laughs> 
Seriously, though, that's a fucking 29-year-old beef at this point. Why is he still fucking on about it? There's going to be war. So, so ridiculous. Uh, can I tell the story, the ballad, if I will, of humans studio assistant Sam Eglinton? Yeah, go ahead. This is fun. Uh, so... On every track of Humans, including the bonus tracks, the credited studio assistant is a young man named Sam Eglinton. Being a studio assistant is not what I would call glamorous work, Trevor. Uh, it involves getting coffees, adjusting mics, like... Being an intern. Yeah, setting up the, the Pro Tools so that the stems are all named correctly, like taking notes about when the, when the producer says, I like that take, taking a note, you know? Mm-hmm. But then on this song, <laughs> he got his moment in the sun and he is credited as playing the bell on the song the bell i think every like almost every four measures throughout the whole song there's a big toll uh on that bell mm-hmm. and uh, i i already thought that that was really charming that they were like hey let's get the coffee boy to come in here and bang on that bell like i already liked that but then i saw the the Deutsche Telekom Electronic Beats release of the live version of this at Printworks, and they fucking brought him up on stage to hit that bell. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's so what awesome. a moment. I mean, he, if you watch the video, he's clearly so overjoyed to be doing this. It makes me feel proud of him like I'm his friend. <laughs> When I see him hit that bell with just the just this this look of bliss on his face, <laughs> so cool. It's, it's truly a great moment. Yeah, very rewarding if you know the backstory. Uh, this is the conclusion of of my little mini opera, Trevor. Uh, you've woke. This is the next morning in my mini opera. You've woken up uh, after the world has ended, and at the end of Demon Days, you wake up and it's all still here. At the end of Humans, you wake up and the world really did end. Mm-hmm. But the vibe is like, you know what? It's the first day of the rest of our lives anyway. Let's move forward in this shit together. We got the power to be loving each other. No matter what happens. No matter what happens. And, uh, and so the, the, what, whatever their future might hold, the satellite and the collar, you know, right off down the M1 together, full of hopes and dreams in spite of the fucking smoldering world around them. And so that's, that's, the, uh, that's the end of your little fan fiction opera? That's the end of my fan fiction opera. All right, well, it's not the end of the album, so you want to get into these bonus tracks? Yeah, can we, before we even start talking about it track by track, can we just talk real quick about these bonus tracks and what we think they are? I love that they're here. Like I said in our emergency episode, humans is, uh, humans is a big party. These are the after party. I wonder, though, because here's my other read of it. What if this is not the after party and this is, we've gone back in time and we're now looking at an alternate timeline of the party? Because... One thing that these bonus tracks do a lot, Trevor, are callbacks. They call back other songs, not only on humans, but other songs from, like, the whole of the Gorillaz catalog. Like, I hate to say this, but part of these bonus tracks almost feel like a, a sending off of the Gorillaz project. Like, if this was the last proper Gorillaz album, this would kind of feel like a, a proper goodbye to me. What are some references they make to uh, previous phases? Well, uh... I mean, should we save it for when we get to the songs? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I just, I really like that this section of the album exists in the first place. There's something, and I'm so glad they're, they're bonus tracks too, because there's something, about, there's something about bonus tracks that feels so candid. And I think if there's an album that deserves, that we deserve to get a candid look at, it's Humans. Like, like I said, this really does feel like the after party. This feels like the main event has wrapped up. Damon's like, 
I'm just going to get on some decks real quick and play some like other stuff for you guys. Do you mind? And everyone's like fucking loving it, of course. I actually like this. I think that that's a good interpretation of it sonically. I think maybe thematically and lyrically it's it's doing something else, but we'll we'll have to try to try to make heads or tails of it as we go through these tracks. Totally. You want to start with uh, Interlude? Cuz I think yeah, this is pretty cool. This is the meatiest one, right? Um, yeah. it to me this is this is why I thought, well, is this like an alternate timeline of the party because it, it, we do literally rewind through all of the previous Ben Mendelsohn stuff on this track, you know? Mm. We're back to the elevator, we're back to the penthouse, you know, uh, that weird kind of like, what do you make of that synth that's underneath him? Like it sounds, it either sounds like a like a sound effect that plays when you're traveling back in time in a science fiction show, or it just like comes off as really creepy to me. My immediate reaction was, oh no. We've returned to Glitter Freeze. It's back. <laughs> when I was listening to this you know song, what, Trevor, fuck you, fuck you. Glitter Freeze never went away. <laughs> it doesn't have to come back. <laughs> let me let me dig up uh, my notes from my first listen. Okay. Oh man, what are all these synth noises? Oh man, we're going to the bonus tracks. Wait, we're going to hell. And then just in all caps, Glitter Freeze. <laughs> I think in the way that you're going to start using, I'm not quoting Oasis, I'm just going to punctuate things that I say with glitter freeze. Yeah. But yeah, interesting vibe, because this one is really tense and anxiety-ridden for a second, but then that immediately breaks once we get into The Apprentice. Yeah, let's talk about The Apprentice. So this is the last pre-release single. Yeah, this was the last single. This one almost feels like, um, kind of like, well, first of all, since we're in the bonus track section now, this feels like, I think, the second song at the end of a movie. Like, you know, the first oh, shit, song at right. the end of a movie plays, like, over the last half, like, the ending scene or whatever, then takes you into the credits. And yeah, then, like, like the there's score. that second song that comes on by the time everybody's kind of, Where, like, like Destiny's uh, Child is going to start singing about Transformers? <laughs> something like that. Almost. But, like, it's the second song that plays, well, like, you're probably leaving the theater now. And that's yeah, exactly the kind of vibe that I get from The Apprentice. I get it, yeah. Um, and you know what? I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of Rag and Bone Man. Uh, but I think he really elevates this song. Like I, I, I think my problem with him has never been his voice. I think he has a really good voice, but I don't necessarily like the kind of kind of white man blues music that he writes when he's mm-hmm. uh, when he's making music. But it's worth mentioning, Trevor, that he didn't write shit on this song. Uh, really, Rag and Bone and and Ray Black both didn't write anything on this song. Uh, it, the only writers credited are, are Twilight Tone and Damon Albarn and Zebra Cats. So interesting. Uh, yeah, I wonder if there was a version of this song with uh, with Damon singing all of these verses and hooks, and he just plugged other people in. I don't know. Maybe we'll maybe we'll hear if there's if they release alternate versions of these. As you know, as thirsty as I always am for those Damon Albarn vocals, I really don't think his voice would have worked on this track. I also don't think it would have worked on uh, Strobe Light. They are those songs kind of form a pair for me, Strobe Light and The Apprentice. But you know what, little Damon, we got on this song just the cold, cold, cold is great. I love that that little because you know it's almost like using his voice like it's another instrument, and it's such. He has a, a couple of backing vocal moments on this one, I think, and they're all really good. Yeah, I mean, obviously the main feature is his cold, and that's mm-hmm. great because he has such a distinctive voice, and using it like an instrument is a, is a is a great choice you know there's something else that i love that this one kind of uh starts off the bonus tracks and i like that it immediately follows uh that super anxious kind of synth workout of new world because this is almost um i feel like the band kind of shrugging off all of the dark themes that they were working with in the album like she's glad that's over right let's kind of let's let's party again or 
Trevor, one of the themes that I'm starting to, to see form in these bonus tracks is like join us or stop resisting us. Uh, mm-hmm. Like a weird cult thing that's that's a through line in these last few tracks. And I feel that. In Ray Black's verse, especially the 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 finest point, the the finest pin that is put on that in this song is, uh, "You could be mad at me, but you should just freak with me." Yeah, as in like, uh, "Hey, I know that uh, that I worship money and it's gross, but you know, come on in. The water's nice." Oh, interesting. I don't see the song from that perspective. Maybe because we're in the bonus tracks now, and this section is kind of divorced from the rest of the album for me. I don't know. That's a, that's an interesting take, though. Definitely kind of. Uh, Definitely kind of makes me see the uh, title of the song in another way. But I want to talk about what is, to me, the absolute highlight of the song, and that is Zebra Katz's fucking amazing verse. It's really cool. Obey. 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 Like, it's almost like he's saying, you guys have your dictator. Fuck that. I'm the dictator now. Like, it's amazing. Yeah, new black king. Yo, that the lyric, my favorite lyric in that verse is, my world is darker than the young black dream of the first black prince of a new white king. Yeah. That's a fucking great lyric. Uh, I have my theories about exactly what he's saying on that, but I just think it's it's a lyric that stuck out to me immediately and that I can't stop turning over and turning over in my head. I love it. Uh, I don't know if this song has necessarily grown for me in context with the album compared to the first time I saw it, but... It has it, for but, me. It has for me. I was a little lukewarm on it initially for some reason, but it is a jam. It is fucking totally a jam. You want to talk about Halfway to the Halfway House, the second uh, Peven Everett song? Yes, and I believe the first... Uh, callback to to the history of gorillas because yeah you've told me about this that little sine wave oscillator thingy is I'm almost sure the same one that is used in the intro of punk interesting uh, that's used on the intro and the outro of this song the thing um, I think this might be my favorite bonus track actually really that's cool it's my least favorite but it is a really really interesting and engrossing song. It's a, it was a big grower for me. Like it kind of caught me off guard the first time I heard it. But I, to me, it kind of sounds almost like a like an avant garde Prince song to me. Oh, it is such a Prince song, dude. I mean, uh, Cherry Aid Fountain. That is some of the most Prince imagery I've ever heard. Yeah, that lyric, the Cherry Aid Fountain thing, both compels and confounds me. Like, really cool though. For some reason, I don't know why. It's one of my favorite lyrics on the album. Do you think we'll get a Cherry Aid Fountain at the uh, Gorillas Live dates? A kind of concession stand. Yeah, that'd be awesome. But I would love also if 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 Peven performs this song on some of those dates. Uh, yeah, I'd love to hear a live version with the with the fucking backing chorus and. Yeah, it's a it's a cool track. If there is a cult indoctrination theme happening in these bonus tracks, then maybe Cherry Aid Fountain is sort of supposed to call on your associations with like Jonestown and and the Flavor Aid, like taking drinking the Kool Aid, drinking kind of the Kool Aid, yeah. But I, but I'm not saying that for sure because it's a weird ass line and I don't know exactly what it means. It's, but I love it's it. It's so Prince though, and I really love it. I really like the way this song kind of starts too. It makes me feel like I'm sneaking around on an enemy submarine. Oh yeah, that's a good point. That's actually a perfect way to describe that vibe. Yeah, yeah. That's this has been the biggest grower on this record for me. It's like it's quickly climbing my personal charts. It's a cool one. And, you know, I take it back, kind of, I think I, I, think I called it uh, undercooked or something on our emergency episode, or just sort of suggested that, it, that the arrangement wasn't quite as fleshed out. But I think that the, that the sparseness of this song is very deliberate and is handled really expertly. Yeah, I don't get an unfinished vibe from any of the tracks on this album. Yeah, I think I was way off base. Way mm. off base, Trevor! Out of body. Oh boy, out of body. Hey, the crackle from Let Me Out is back. Speaking of referencing earlier tracks on the album. This is my favorite moment on the album, this song. 
This feels like this is the peak of the after party for me. You know what? I don't think I ever liked it as much as I liked it the first time I heard it. Like, I think the first time I heard it was the most immediate experience I had with it. Yeah, nothing will ever beat that first time listening to the song, just like trying to wrap my head what was going on. If there is a cult thing happening on these tracks, this is the centerpiece of that. Yeah, yeah. It goes like, because it starts out this whole basically like an occult, like schoolgirl rap section. Yes, uh, like, leave all your belongings at the door. And then my favorite Kylo Kish lyric is, uh, you gotta pay attention to the motion of the fish. Stay within the school or you're surely gonna miss. And if you lose your way, it's a cold black abyss. Don't take the chance. Not worth the risk. Really good. <laughs> I think Kylo Kish might be the discovery of the face for me, my friend. She, she is, uh, kills it. Pipe down, pipe down, pipe down. Pipe she's down, so good. Down. And she's, uh, she's currently on tour right now with Vince Staples. Um, nice. So I wonder if she found her way onto the project through Vince. That would be interesting. Yeah, I would love to see this one live. Fuck yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It has That'd such be a live vibe to it, too. I mean, they even underlay some like uh, field recordings of a crowd towards the end, which really gives the song a big push. It really kind of, I don't know, that more than anything makes me feel like I'm at this party. And what about the fact that, uh, that Damon in his little section name checks Busted in Blue? Uh, oh, I, I love it. It's everybody's saying I'm busted blue. Like, great. That's another thing that makes us feel like so candid and almost like a shrug off of a lot of the heavier themes of the main proper album. Yeah, like 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 you said, this is the weird DJ set at the end of the Humans Party, and he's like remixing elements from Humans into it. It's great. I just picture him like getting on the mic finally and jumping into the crowd for this part because there's almost those weird kind of low pitched crowd shouts that um accompany his that also verse. almost feel like moments to me. Yeah. A little bit, but... Oh. And then let's talk about Imani Vancha, who uh, who is a member of The Human. She's our first ascended choral singer on the record. This part is sick. It really does not feel like a band making music by this point. This just sounds like Damon spinning a killer house record. Yeah, and Imani Vancha is a member of The Dap, which is, uh, which is Twilight Tone's uh, Chicago and New York-focused collection of artists and musicians. And... Uh, uh, She's fucking great on this track, dude. She's yeah. like, she's so gritty sounding. Fucking love mm. it, dude. And good for her. Good for her getting that feature credit, being coming in as a, a choral singer and coming out with a feature credit. Totally, yeah. Everybody on this track is so good. Zebra Katz's hook is really good. Yeah, I love, I love that hook. It's a great hook. There's just so much being brought to the table on this track, and it all clicks so well. Just, but like, I will never forget that last moment where Damon just drops in at the last second, like being completely blown away by everything that had managed to become a single here so seamlessly <laughs> let me ask you something dude four or five albums depending on your view of, of the fall into the gorillas project is david albard kind of learning how to rap i feel like there's definite growth in his ability to spit bars on this album <laughs> i mean i think he uh i think he was pretty good by the point we by the time they got to uh feel good ink he's kind of doing a rap thing on that one yeah, but I, he was still kind of in this this mellow, you know, Ian Dury thing. But I think on songs like I feel like on songs like Charger and this, he's he's finding a flow that is all his own. <laughs> I also think on this verse and in Charger, he sounds more like two D than ever. Yeah, I, I get you. Yeah, because it's uh, maybe another way to put that is he sounds more like a cartoon than ever. Kind of, yeah. But I agree that that outro with David is real special really special for some reason i don't even know why i was just like damon damon he's here damon's here guys damon's here he's here now like <laughs> for sure 
Like, I, I tend to, I try and not be one of those fans, like, who's like, oh, it doesn't have enough Damon vocals on it. It's like another artist, Feet Gorillas. But, like, when he shows up at the 11th hour like that, it is just a very crowd-pleasing moment, I think. That's the argument in favor for there being more collaborators, because that way, when, when Damon shows up, it feels like the fucking beat dropped, you know? That's what, that's what Murdoch said in the AMA, you know? So, like, people are like, uh, like, what do you say about the people who say there's not enough 2D vocals on the album? And he goes like... You know, 2D's, 2D, he's, he's special. You just, you got to get a little bit of him every now and then. If you hear him all the time, it kind of wears off. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And, uh, and now that 2D has returned to uh, the bonus tracks, he has this big feature moment. Yes. Ticker tape. One of my favorite songs on the, one of my favorite songs on the record. This is really special to me, Trevor, this credit. Uh, playing bass on this song is Junior Dan. How cool. That's awesome. Such a cool little throwback. If you're unaware, Junior Dan, of course, played bass on every song, I believe, in uh, in the self-titled record, uh, and uh, and has not worked with the Gorillas project since. I can't remember if he did some work with Damon on something else afterwards. I don't know, but but having him back is real special. It's really not special. quite getting Dell back, but still pretty special. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and there's more there's more calling back on this track too. Like the 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 crackling is still here on this track also mm-hmm. and uh and also Damon says slide the light, which is what uh what uh Peven Everett said in Strobe Light. Right. Uh referencing that that graffiti campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh so once again there is this whole like we're remixing elements from the humans tracks into these songs that I really like. And also it has that big that big whooshing like 808 slide from Saturn's bars in it the you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, I do. That's in there too. So like it, it really does I don't know why exactly, but it seems very deliberate in these last bonus tracks. Little Easter eggs. Yeah, that they're weaving in these these little bits and pieces from the from the rest of the album. Also on this track, this is interesting to me. I don't know how interesting you'll find this, Trevor, but uh some of the keys on this track are being played by uh Chek Sek, who is in Rocket Juice and the Moon and also was one of the I believe the founding members of Mally Music. Circle of Friends. Circle of Friends. Circle of Friends. But yeah, this song is like, I, I like it so much. It's like a final, beautiful, still shot of the human's party, like at its height. Like everything's frozen in time at its peak so that we can get this last look at the celebration. Like in order to make a clear memory of this good time, as clear one as we can. Because we're like, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be able to need it, this memory, like to go back to whenever things get too dark in the days ahead, you know? Like, I mean, that's what this album is going to end up being for me, at least. And I like the way that that the bells and whistles sort of slowly get stripped away on this track. Like, I believe that of all of the Damon vocals on Humans, this is sort of the least affected. They all have some kind of, some element of his sort of telephone, megaphone uh, filter. Some of them much less. Like, Busted in Blue barely has it. It's very light. Right, but this is the first time where it feels like he's actually, like, in a room with us. Exactly. And I think that's, that's really interesting and a really good choice. One of the problems is that it, there's only really like two crooner Damon moments on this uh, album, and the other one is Busted in Blue, so that's tough. <laughs> that's tough to sort of... It, it maybe is a little bit hurt by the comparison to me. Um, mm-hmm. But you know what the big surprise of the song was for me? Was how much Carly Simon kind of feels like she belongs on this song. I love her feature. It felt that felt like when I saw Carly Simon's name on the on the track list, that felt like one of those. Oh, Damon wants to work with one of his heroes again. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. But she's perfect. She's perfect on this song. She does exactly what she needs to. 
when they join up together on uh, on Waiting for the World to Start Again, they make a beautiful color together with their voices. Possibly the best moment of the album, I think. That really feels like the, all right, we're done. I hope you got something out of this. And there's almost no arrangement behind them, just some weird little jolting synths behind them in that yeah, section. Yeah, it's, it's a really special moment. Even though that Kali Uchis outro is like basically a two-note melody, I think it's really effective. Yeah, we're working through the nightmare. I like it, man. I like yep. it. Really good track. Really feels like it wraps things up. This is, I think, the, the proper closer of the entire experience with Circle of Friends kind of acting as a coda. Agreed. I agree with you. Let's talk about Circle of Friends. Circle of Friends. Really beautiful little moment to close on. I see this as, I see this as the moment where we kind of emerge from the party the next morning after and we're kind of filled with this resolve to exist in this new world as hard as it's going to be to do Uh, to me here let me let me form a weird analogy let me paint a word picture for you i almost feel like circle of friends is if you sat in on uh, a still life or like an art class where the subject that you were painting that day was the morning after the end of the world but do it in a hopeful way Mm mm-hmm if you if you brought a romantic style to painting that, it would sound like we got the power. And if you brought a minimalist style to it, it would sound like Circle of Friends. Like Circle of it's Friends, it's a lot more impressionistic. Exactly, like the sounds of shattering glass and sirens, and then this very simple theme of just talking about being with the people who you care about. You know, it sounds like the sun coming up. And I love when the girls join in towards the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, it pushes the vibe almost over the top into like Saturday morning children's show, you know, like a, like a, like a Barney and friends song. Like it just becomes this really sunshiny, uh, sound that I really enjoy. I don't get a Barney and friends, uh, vibe from it, but maybe more Sesame street, but it, it but any, in any case, I like, I like when those girls join up because even though maybe on paper it's streakly or, or saccharin, the, Everything that surrounds it instead makes it feel quite hopeful and really sweet to me. It's a really nice note to end on. So that was it. That was the humans party. Holy shit, we talked about humans. We we got it. It's it's there now. I'm gonna say this. I know that we have an album ranking episode coming uh in our future. Yeah. But I am I'm just gonna say something right now. Okay. Bracing for it. I don't know if Humans is my favorite Gorillaz album, but I think it's the best Gorillaz album. I, well, yeah, we'll talk about it more, but I think this could be the defining Gorillaz work. It is, like I said uh, in my kind of intro spiel, this is what Gorillaz feels like it has spent its entire life coming to. I'm so happy that we have this album, Trevor, and I'm so happy that it's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it is. It's exactly what it should be. It's exactly what I could have wanted it to be if i had known you know if i had known yeah i mean i couldn't have hoped for for something as special as what we got and you know what i guess i guess theoretically that's not how everybody feels about this album i i haven't necessarily been consuming a lot of outside opinions about this album because i've been really trying to codify slash lock in my own feelings uh Mm -hmm. But I know that this isn't landing for some people the way that it is for us, and, and I guess that's that's fine. But boy, to me, it just it's it speaks so much to me. I love this album. This is maybe the first album where I feel legitimately bad for people who it's not vibing with because it. I think it is such a special thing. I think it's a little maybe hypocritical to say that like um, 
you can't dismiss this album after one listen because I fell in love with it after one listen. But I think there's so much going on here that it just, you really need to spend a little bit of time with this one if it doesn't immediately jump out for you. Just don't give up on it. Keep listening, even if it's kind of tricky for you. Just, it's worth it, I promise. Well, Trevor, uh, so ends, so closes one chapter of our podcast and begins anew. Yeah. We don't know exactly what we're going to have for you next week, but we promise that it will be special. Yeah. Can I just say, Dylan, I, I have been, I felt so blessed to kind of experience this with you. It has really added a lot of enjoyment to my experience with Gorillas this time around. This is, there's no way that I would have rather kind of started celebrating the Gorillas holiday than by sitting down with you week after week and kind of figuring out what exactly this band or this kind of force feels like to me. I got to say right back at you. Like, I mean, you know, Hey, at the risk of, of, of showing my sentimental hand, uh, songs like circle of friends definitely make me think about the, how special it's been to talk with you over these weeks leading up to the release of this album. Talk with the listeners of hallelujah monkeys, uh, leading up to the release of this album who you guys have continued to be, so special the fan response has been so great it has been such a special force in my life lately just knowing that people want to listen to us talk about gorillas and we're going to keep doing it forever definitely definitely (laughs) yeah to the point where we have nothing left to talk about except for rocket juice in the moon (laughs) i'll be interested to see our listener numbers for the rocket juice episode but before that we have tons of Gorillas content to get through because like i said it's gorillas season i mean the festival is just going to keep going oh my god yeah i mean that like, meteor disappears from the sky once more that's why this is an ending and a beginning dude like this who knows what the rest of this phase will bring and uh it seems like it's going to be real special we also definitely want to hear what you guys think it, totally yes so please tweet at us whatever dude get the bomb our going. inboxes like we would yes. love to hear what you think about humans uh mm-hmm. you can email us at Hallelujahmonkeys at gmail.com or hit us up uh, on Twitter at GorillasFanCast or on Tumblr, hallelujahmonkeys.tumblr.com. There's all kinds of ways to get at us. Facebook.com slash hallelujahmonkeys. Just we'd love to hear from you. This is a song about being together, so get together with us and uh, and let us know what you think about humans. Uh, until next time, I am Dylan Flynn. I'm Trevor Ickrath. Let's switch our robots off. <laughs> circle of friends. Circle of Circle of friends Circle of, circle of, circle of Circle of friends